we can stand as we go to the, the word today. We're going to go to Isaiah 61. Isaiah 61, uh, verses 1 to 3. Fear of the Lord, God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek, and has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. I'm going to preach this morning. Sometimes I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm going to preach this morning. Um, ashes, mourning, and heaviness, or beauty, joy, and praise. It's up to you. Let's pray once more. This morning, Jesus, God, I thank you for your spirit and your anointing that I feel. God, I pray that you would, God, that you would continue to minister today. God, I pray that there would be a deep move in your spirit, God, that you would just have your way. God, I pray that I do a transform some of us here today. In Jesus' name, God, I pray that you would just have your way. God, do what it is that you set out to do. In the name of Jesus, God, we give you all the praise and glory. Hallelujah. Let your will be done in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated for a bit. <clears throat> Usually, I don't know how long it will be. But anyway, Isaiah 61 is a, is a prophecy, as is most of the book of Isaiah. Um, and it's also a piece of poetry, if you weren't sure. So it's both. It's a double threat. Um, as with everything in, in the Word of God, it's not just put there for fun. There's a reason and a purpose. And then the, this chapter in the beginning uh, of verse 2 references the year of Jubilee. It says the acceptable year of the Lord, and that's what it's referring to. And the year of Jubilee was something that would happen every 50 years in ancient Israel. Slaves would be set free. Land would go back to the original owners or the families that owned the land. Uh, it was a huge thing. Uh, and once, uh, once, sometimes twice in a lifetime experience. It was a, a year-long celebration of freedom and restoration. Isaiah um, 61 in the original Hebrew is written in 50 colas or lines of poetry in reference to the year of Jubilee. It's also a prophecy about someone coming, someone who would fulfill these things, um, especially verses 1 to 3. And there's been hints all through the book of Isaiah so far. Things like in Isaiah 11, 1 to 2, it says, There shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, a branch shall grow out of his roots, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, and the, sp the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. So he says that there's this person that's coming, that's going to be kingly of the line of Jesse or that's David's father the line of David and this king would be the one traditionally 
the king would be the one traditionally who would proclaim the year of the Lord, the year of Jubilee. He would say, all right, this is it. This is the year of Jubilee. It's starting. And he would be the one that would let everyone know it was up to him. And um, so this one that's coming, he's going to be a king. But there's also these underlying implications uh, throughout Psalm, or Isaiah 61. These things are written in groups of seven. There's language that's used in the Hebrew and all these different things that imply that the one who this prophecy is about will also be a priest. And throughout Isaiah, we'll see that as well. Um, groups of seven refer to priestly things, godly things, um, completion, and that sort of thing. And so... There's these underlying implications that this person that Isaiah 61 is talking about is going to be a king and also a priest. Um, and so to the summer, I'll get to the preaching in a minute, but I study this stuff out, so i got to let you know. But it was, a, it was generally accepted by the Jews in Jesus' day and still um, that this prophecy is about someone who was coming. Someone who is going to be both king and priest. Someone who is going to usher in the year of Jubilee. Someone who is going to usher in a time of unprecedented freedom and liberty. Someone who would come and introduce a period of unprecedented restoration and reconciliation. All right? We're on the same page. Fast forward 700 years or so. Luke chapter 4, verse 16 to 21. And he, Jesus, came to Nazareth. And where he had been brought up, and as, as his custom was, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah, which is Greek for Isaiah. And when he opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. You might recognize this from a few minutes ago. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, the recovering of sight to the blind, and set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and gave it again to the minister and sat down. And the eyes of all of them that were in the synagogue were fastened on them because they knew this scripture. They knew what this was about. There's someone coming. This is about the Messiah that they've been looking for. So they're looking at him. What are you? Why did you read that? What is going on here? And he began to say unto them, This day is this scripture that I just read to you. This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. And so Jesus shows up at the synagogue in his hometown and he reads the same verses, these verses that the people uh, associate with the coming Messiah, the king and the priest, someone who's going to come to set them free. Someone who is going to usher in a time of restoration and reconciliation. And Jesus says unto them, today is the day. Today, this scripture is fulfilled. I am the one. I am the one that you've been looking for. I'm the one that you've been longing for. I'm the one that you've been waiting for. And I'm the one who's going to heal. I'm the one who's going to deliver. I'm the one who's going to restore. I am he. I am the one that you've been waiting for. And I want to focus on uh, Isaiah 61 and 3. So Jesus confirms this chapter is about him. 
Isaiah 61 and 3, he says, To appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called the trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. So this is about Jesus. Jesus is the one who is going to do this. To them that mourn in Zion. Zion in the Bible is described as a city of God or a place that belongs to God. To them that mourn in Zion, it is possible to be in the right place and still be mourning. It's possible to be in the city of God and go through a time of mourning. It's possible for us to be in the will of God and to go through mourning. Life isn't always sunshine and roses. I bet you didn't know that. There's a song that says every rose has its thorn. Even roses aren't all that they're cracked up to be. Sometimes we can get the idea in our head that I'm where God wants me to be. And I'm in the city of God. Or I'm where God wants me. I'm in the church and I'm where I should be. And so everything's going to be fine. And when I step out of that, yeah, then, then things bad things will happen. Morning will come. But sometimes we, we get that idea. But that's not how it is. There will still come a time of mourning. The great book of Ecclesiastes says, for everything there is a season. There's a time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance. And we go through seasons and times of rejoicing and mourning, and sometimes it just happens. Sometimes our children will make bad decisions, and people we love will still walk away from the truth, and people will hurt us, and loved ones will pass away unexpectedly, and we'll get bad reports from the doctors, or the police will show up on our doorstep with some news that we don't want to hear. Their accidents will happen, businesses will go under, jobs will be lost and changed, doors will close, dreams and ambitions aren't always fulfilled. And there is a time of mourning, even in Zion, even in the city of God, even where we're supposed to be. But the word says, and Jesus confirmed that it was referring to him. He says, he is the one. To those that mourn, he's going to bring something else. He's going to change something. He's going to take that mourning and he's going to turn it into something else. And sure, there is a time for mourning, but there's also a time to dance. There is a time for weeping, but there's also a time to laugh. And there's a time of heartbreak, but there's one who binds broken hearts. There's a time of captivity, but there's liberty in the name of Jesus. There's a time where we feel like we're in a prison, but there's someone who opens those prison doors and sets us free. And his name is Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, wonderful counselor, everlasting father, prince of peace, the Messiah, the great I am, the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, the good shepherd and the lamb slain for the, from the foundation of the world, the lion of Judah, the son of God and the son of man, the light of the world, the morning star, the king, kings, the Lord of lords, Jesus Christ. He is the one. And he said, I've come to those that are mourning and I'm giving them an exchange. I'm offering them something different. I'm going to take the things that they have, the things that represent the heartbreak, the things that represent the heartache, the things that represent the pain, and I'm going to turn them into something completely different. And if you are in a period of mourning today, if you've ever gone through mourning, this is for you. He says, I'm going to take beauty and give them. I'm going to get beauty for ashes. He said, I'm going to give you beauty for ashes. Ashes represent mourning to the Jews at the time. When they were mourning, they would put ashes on their heads. Ashes would be involved 
in one way or another in a period of mourning. Jonah sat in ashes. The Jews at the time of Esther, they laid in ashes. In Jeremiah and Ezekiel's books, people rolled around in ashes in mourning. Ashes are what's left when everything else is destroyed. When your house is completely destroyed in fire, all you have left is ashes. When your hopes and dreams are destroyed, all you have left are ashes. Just dust to remind you of the thing that you once had. Ugly, dirty, useless ashes. All they're good for is throwing out just memories of what once was. But Jesus says, I'm going to take those ashes that you have, those broken dreams, those memories of what once was, those heartaches and heartbreaks, those unfulfilled goals and dreams, that pain that you have, and I'm going to make something beautiful from it. I am the one who gives beauty for ashes. And you thought it was over, and you thought that the dream that you had was dead, and you thought there was no hope, and you didn't see how you could go another day, and all you have were ashes. But I can give you beauty for ashes. But we've got to give him the ashes for that to happen. It's an exchange. We can't keep holding on to the pain and the heartache and can't keep wallowing around and rolling around in the ashes of what once was. Your life might not have much left. It may feel like it's all but gone. It may feel like there's not much purpose anymore and all hope is gone. But God said, I can take the ashes of what remains from your life, from your circumstance, from what's happened, from your hopes and your dreams, and I can make something beautiful out of the ashes. And all you may have left today are ashes. But Jesus says, that's all I need. And I can make something beautiful. What we already have, what we what we had already has been destroyed or consumed. It can't even light a fire anymore. It can't even burn anymore because there's nothing left. It's all gone and used up, and you've got nothing left that seems to be of any value. But Jesus said, I can make life out of that. I can make beauty out of that. It's not over yet. When it feels like it's over, when it feels like this time of mourning is never going to end, when it feels like everything you have is gone and you've spent it, all you've got, nothing left, Jesus says, give it to me and I can make beauty out of that. I can give you beauty for ashes. He is the God of restoration. I don't know if you believe that or not, but God, he is the God of restoration. He is still the healing God. He is still the life-giving God. It doesn't matter what you have left. He can make something out of it. He is the reconciling God. He is the light of the world. Give him the ashes and see what he brings from it. Give it to him. There's beauty for ashes. And not only beauty for ashes, Isaiah also says there's an oil of joy for mourning. Weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Joy comes in the morning, and joy comes through the morning. The oil in the Bible always signifies anointing or the presence of God. And oil, just about every time it's mentioned in the Bible, refers to olive oil. And there's a recipe in Exodus 30, 22 to 25, and they would take it with some olives and Cinnamon, different kinds of cinnamon, some other spices, and they would put it together and they would make oil. Do you have the title slide, Cheryl? Um, I don't know if you know how they made oil then, but this is an oil press. And they would put all the stuff in, and then they would roll that stone around. And then they would decant it, get out the, the debris and um, the pulp and whatever, all the solids. It's impossible to have oil without the crushing 
of the stone. It's impossible. The, there's these little cells in, in the olive, and the only way to get the oil out is to crush those cells. Each one has a little bit of a little drop. The only way to produce anointing oil is for there to be a crushing, and we don't like that. It's uncomfortable. Jeremiah had a vision of being clay in the hands of a potter, molded and shaped, and the clay doesn't decide what it will become. The potter does. The olives don't decide what they're going to be. The crushing represents submission to God and His will. And true joy comes through submitting to God and His will. True anointing comes through submitting to God and His will. As long as we are trying to call the shots, as long as we're trying to figure all this out and why all these things are going on, as long as we're holding it all in and refusing to let go, there's not going to be any joy. True joy. There's not going to be any oil. There's not going to be any anointing. The oil is produced when the olives yield to the press. The anointing is produced when we yield ourselves to God and let him do what it is that he wants to do in us. It may not be comfortable all the times, but it's worth it. Romans 12 and 1, we've heard this many times, uh, beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. This is our reasonable service to submit ourselves to him, to lay our lives down for what he's done for us. And when we do, he's going to take that morning and he's going to replace it with the oil of joy. There's an anointing that comes through the morning. There's a deepness that comes through walking through that valley of the shadow of death. There's a richness that comes when we go through the pain. The joy is more joyful. There's, a, there's something different about it. There's, there's, a, there's, a, there's just something. There's a deepness. There's a richness to it. The anointing is evident when you've walked through some of these valleys. When you've gone through some of these times, there's an anointing that is on your life that wasn't there before you went through it. But you have to go through the morning. There's an anointing that only comes through mourning. There's joy unspeakable and full of glory. But we need to submit to the pain. We need to submit to the process. We need to stop resisting the crushing because it's going to produce something in us. Even though it hurts, even though it's uncomfortable, God's producing something when we yield to them. He's crushing our will and our desires and he's producing an anointing that comes that's going to break all, that's going to break the yoke. It's going to set us free. There's going to be joy that comes. We need to stop trying to tell them what we can't, what we're going to do and whatever. We need to stop resisting. Submit to God and let him take that morning and give you the joy of the Holy Ghost. But wait, there's more. The garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. And there's a heaviness that comes around someone who's mourning. Right? You can feel it. You walk into a funeral home. There's just the awkward heaviness, presence. There's a spirit that attaches itself to us. There's an air that surrounds someone who's mourning. There's a heaviness that follows us around for days, years. And Jesus came to take that away. There's a darkness that overshadows us when we're grieving and mourning. And this isn't just about losing a loved one. There's all kinds of reasons why we mourn. And we talk about mourning and grief and we just go to that. But there's dreams that we have for life that don't happen. 
cause us to mourn. There's disappointments. There's doors that close. There's things that we thought would happen and didn't. There's disappointment. There's all kinds of reasons why we mourn. And there's a spirit of heaviness that follows us. There's a darkness that overshadows. There's a heaviness that just weighs us down. And it's hard to go about the day. And it's hard to get things done. And it slows us down. And it feels like, I don't know about you, but sometimes it feels like you're in a fog. And you can't quite see anything clearly. And it makes it difficult to focus on what we need to do. But the Bible says someone is coming who is able to take that spirit of heaviness and replace it with a garment of praise. Praise is light. Praise is uplifting. I don't know if you've ever worn the wrong thing. Have you done that? It's hot out and you didn't dress appropriately. At camp this year, we had this little guy. He wore like a full sweatsuit. It was like 35 degrees out. And we're like, you got to change. You're going to die. And he like fell it like, <laughs> he was like passing out. I'm like, you got to go change. We gotta... He's okay. He lived. But we were worried there for a second. When I was 19, I think, uh, I made a trip with a friend to France. And the weather there is a lot warmer than where I'm from in St. John. The high of 19 in the summer. Maybe 22. That's fog everywhere. And um, I like to wear sweaters. And at, at the time, Value Village wasn't overpriced. And I would just go there and buy these ridiculous, ugly old sweaters. And I had this great brown wool sweater. It was probably made 100 years before I was born. I don't know. And I wore it. And my, my friends that I was going with, his wife worked for Air Canada, so we're flying with her little perks. And so he's like, well, we're, we're, in a way, we're representing the country, so we should dress business casual, don't look like bums or whatever. And so I wore this sweater with a um, dress shirt underneath. And we, it was late May, and St. John was maybe like 15 degrees out, and that was a fine thing to wear. And then we get to, to Paris, and we land, and it's 30 degrees. And my clothes that I chose were much too heavy. Once we stepped off that, got out of the airport, I was like, I'm going to die. But I was 19, and I was stubborn and awkward and maybe slightly proud. And I tried to play like I was cool. I was like, no, I'm fine. My friend's like, I'm surprised you're still wearing that. It's pretty odd. I was like, nah, don't worry about it. Good. But <laughs> the taxi it took us forever to get where we were going. Eventually, I had to take it off, my sweater off. I was soaked. And what a difference. When I took that heavy sweater off, my word, I felt free. There was a liberty that I had not felt forever, it seemed like. I could breathe easier. I cooled down almost instantly. Oh my goodness. I hadn't realized how much of a difference what I was wearing was having on me. I was like, no, I'm fine. Don't worry about it. I got this. I chose this. I chose to wear this. I'm going to be fine. When I took that garment off, probably didn't smell great, but there was a, there was a difference. I could breathe again. I wasn't suffocating anymore. There was, there was a... <laughs> I didn't realize how much that sweater... I didn't wear it the rest of the trip. <laughs> Just brought it for fun, I guess. 
I didn't realize how much of a difference what I was, what I had on was having on me. And when we wear this spirit of heaviness, we don't realize how much it affects us. We're just like, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'll do it. I'll get through this. I'll, don't worry about it. Don't talk to me. Don't, don't bring it up. I'll just go through it. And we don't realize how much it affects us and how much it weighs us down until we take it off and until we put on that garment of praise. And there, my goodness, what a difference there is between a spirit of heaviness and a garment of praise. Everything is lighter. It's easier to breathe. And when that spirit of heaviness is weighing you down, Jesus has come to offer you a different garment, something else to wear. This one is light and this one is better. When the spirit of heaviness weighs you down, Jesus has come to lift you up. And if it wasn't for Jesus, where would I be? And so through him, I can praise. And even though I should be worn out, I can still praise it. Even though I should be worn down, even though everything says that I should be depressed by the things that are going on in my life and happening in my family and going on around me, even though everything says I should be down in the dump, he's taken my ashes and he's produced beauty in its place. He's taken my mourning and produced an anointing like never before and he's given me joy and there's a praise that flows forth out of me when I realize what Jesus has done. Before I was in sackcloth, before I was covered in ashes and all I had was memories and all I had was the pain and all I had was the remnants of what something that once was but now there's a garment of praise he has for me and now he's lifting me out and David wrote while he was running for his life from his son Absalom in Psalm 3 and 3 he said but thou O Lord are a shield for me to my glory and the lifter of my head you lift me up even though right now everything's falling down around me even though right now there's a civil war and people are trying to take over my kingdom my son's rebelling against me even though they're trying to kill me I know that you are a shield for me and you lift up my head no matter what we find ourselves in he lifts us up if we allow him in the middle of the pain, in the middle of the morning, in the middle of the circumstance, he lifts my head, he lifts me up. He's worthy of praise. He's given me light for heavy. And that's who Jesus is, and that's what Jesus is capable of doing if we let him. He can exchange beauty for ashes, joy for mourning, praise for heaviness. And the world says that this is how it is now. It's over. Your marriage is done. You'll never recover from this. Your, your, your family's a mess. Your heart is broken. You'll never love again. Get used to it. That's how it is from now on. Suck it up. That's your life for the rest of your life. But Jesus says, your heart's broken. I'll bind it. You're in captivity. I'll give you liberty. You're bound. I'm going to open those prison gates. You're in mourning. I'm going to comfort you. you. All you have left is ashes. Everything's destroyed. I'm going to give you beauty for those ashes. If all you have left is mourning, I'm going to give you joy. You feel weighed down and you're feeling heavy. I'm going to give you a new garment. And this one is praise. And this one is lighter. This one is so much better. The world says it's over and Jesus says it's only just begun. My wife, if you can save me. Thank you. How does all this work? He transforms the sorrow because he transforms the mourner. He transforms, he changes us. He's doing this to us. He's doing this in us. The thing that caused the grief still happened. He's not changing the past. The thing that caused, um, the thing that became the ashes it's not coming back. It's gone. Right? The spirit of heaviness still wants to linger. The prison, 
that he opened the doors to, the prison's still there. He didn't demolish them. The prison the prison's still a prison. The land of captivity still exists. Even a broken heart that's bound is still a broken heart that's been put together. The things still exist. He doesn't erase the past in that sense, but he heals us. And he transforms us. And by doing so, he transforms how we see the sorrow. He gives us something better. But we have to take it. We have to exchange. We have to give it to him. He's offered these things, but we need to accept the exchange. And in Luke chapter 4, in Nazareth, we read, when Jesus reads that in the, in the synagogue, and he he says, you know, today this is fulfilled in your ears. And he's, and he's sitting down and um, they're like, isn't this Joseph's son? We know this guy. He can't be the Messiah. He can't do these things. We know him. We've, we've known him. My kids went to school with him. I've seen him working in his father's workshop. I, I know this guy. He's not the Messiah. He can't be. And they reject Jesus. And they, they get upset and they drive him out of town. And they never have their broken hearts bound. He's not able to do anything in Nazareth because they won't let him. They won't allow it. They don't have their broken hearts bound. Their captives aren't set free. Their prison doors aren't open for them because they won't accept the exchange he's trying to give. They still have their ashes. They still got their mourning. So we have to allow him to transform us. We have to allow him to produce that beauty out of the ashes. And the offer is there. He's come to do it, but can we let him, can we submit to the process? Because sometimes it isn't, doesn't feel good. Sometimes there, there is a crushing that produces that oil of joy. But what's the end result if we do this? At the end of the verse, it says, they might be called trees of righteousness. The planting of the Lord that he might be glorified. The trees here, the Hebrew, they're oaks. Most translations interpret it to, to oaks. Mighty, solid, sturdy oaks. We got a few of them out here. They're just popping up new ones all the time. Been through all the storms. A couple branches might break off, but they're still standing there, stubborn as ever. Oaks of righteousness, pillars of righteousness, planted by God Almighty Himself. And through these exchanges, ashes for beauty, mourning for joy, heaviness for praise, there's a growth that cannot be denied. There's a strength that comes that cannot be denied. He plants you where He wants you to be, and you grow into a mighty oak that is not easily shaken. Those who have submitted to the process are stronger than ever before. But you don't get the strength of the oak unless you go through the crushing of the olive. And through it all, God is glorified. Only God can bring someone through the things that we've gone through and produce something that strong and that big and that sturdy. You should have been destroyed. All you had left were ashes. All you had was mourning. All you had was pain and distress. But Jesus, He's taken it and exchanged it for something better. So we could stand. We're going to open the altar. 
I know sometimes I say pray in your seat, but this isn't one of those. I want you to come if this is you. If this has been something God's dealing with you about, I invite you to come to the altar today and bring those ashes. Bring that mourning and bring that heaviness. Because you can create, make something beautiful out of it. It may take time. Oaks don't grow overnight. They grow pretty quick. Every spring I gotta pick them out of my boxes, my garden boxes. There's some growing in there. It may take some time, but bring those ashes today. Bring that mourning, bring that heaviness. And you decide, do you want ashes, mourning, and heaviness, or beauty, joy, and praise? Choices. Choice is yours. He's here to exchange. Today, that scripture is fulfilled. Amen. I'm going to invite you to come if you want. We'll pray with you. I'm done. Let's do that today. Let God work.